Welcome back to another episode of The Long and Short of It. On today's episode, we'll have a think about some of the definitions that we use for classifying people affected by LON into different stages of disease and implications for this classification. And so there are several reasons why we want to classify people into different stages of disease. The first is that after making a diagnosis of LON, it's important to communicate to an affected individual where they are in terms of the disease process and potentially determine the extent of damage to the optic nerve. We can also provide people with better information regarding their visual prognosis and what may happen to their vision in the future. Finally, in order to conduct clinical trials, we need to understand where someone is in terms of their disease stage. As we discussed in the previous podcast, some clinical trials may only involve patients or individuals who are early in their disease. This is really important because some treatments may be designed to work for people who are recently symptomatic, while other treatments may be for everyone else. So in 2016, a group of international experts in LON came together to discuss different aspects of the condition and its management. The reason why they did this was because up until that point, there was no consensus or agreement in the international medical community regarding the terminology or language that we use to describe people affected by LON and how to investigate and manage the condition. According to the international consensus statement that the experts put together, LON presents as four distinct disease stages. The first stage is the preclinical stage, which defines the status of someone who carries the mutation but is not affected by any symptoms of the disorder. Typically, people in the preclinical stage are individuals who have normal vision, but they may present with some signs of disease activity when assessed in the eye clinic. For example, looking at the back of the eyes, the doctor may find evidence of some swelling of the optic nerve. These changes that are detected on examination can fluctuate remaining stable or can resolve altogether. But in a subset of individuals, these abnormalities may become more evident and eventually convert into what we call the subacute stage of LON. The second stage of LON, the subacute stage, lasts approximately from the onset of vision loss up until about six months of disease progression. During this time, the blurred spot in the central part of their vision can remain limited or enlarge, and reading ability rapidly deteriorates. The subacute stage is characterized by loss of retinal ganglion cells, and there may be swelling of the optic nerve detected. Vision loss rapidly reaches the nadir within the subacute stage. Nadir refers to the lowest point that the vision can reach. The third stage is known as the dynamic stage of LON. This is approximately from 6 to 12 months after onset of vision loss and is characterized by usually stable, reduced vision. Swelling of the optic nerve that was detected in the subacute stage is now decreasing and will continue to decrease during the dynamic stage of LON. The final fourth stage of LON extends beyond 12 months since disease onset and is defined as the chronic stage, as vision loss is usually stabilized and there is significant loss of retinal ganglion cells. 
When we examine the back of the eyes, we will notice thinning or atrophy of the optic nerve. During the chronic stage of LON, a subset of people may experience some spontaneous improvement of visual function, but the timing and extent of this improvement uh, is difficult to predict. A typical pattern that we see is the appearance of fenestrations or holes within the central blurry part of vision. These little holes of clear vision may expand and join together, and if they are close enough to the central part of vision, a significant improvement in someone's reading ability may be observed. The improvement mostly involves the peripheral or side vision, and the extent of the central blurring might shrink, but often the central part is significantly impaired without any substantial improvement in someone's reading ability. Actually, on that point, I think this is a good time to talk about some of the research that's been done looking at the natural history of visual outcomes in people affected by LON. And when we talk about natural history, what we mean here is studies where we see what happens to people living with a condition without any particular treatment or intervention. In 2020, the experts published an article where they looked at visual outcomes in patients affected by the 11778 mutation. And in the study, they performed a literature review where they looked for previous case reports and case series where the visual outcomes of people affected by the 11778 mutation were reported. They grouped together 695 patients and found that less than 15% were reported to have recovered some vision. But from the papers that they looked at, the definitions of recovery varied among the studies. They couldn't be certain whether or not the recovery was due to medication, such as idebinone or other things. When they looked at the age of onset that the vision loss occurred, and looked specifically at people who were aged 15 years or older, so in other words, adults, with adult onset LON, meaningful visual recovery only occurred in around 11.3%. People who are younger than 12 years old, so children with LON, tended to have better visual prognosis and a different natural history of vision loss progression and recovery compared to adults. So I think putting this all together, we know that the classic presentation of LON due to the 11778 mutation usually results in severe vision loss with rare or poor recovery from nadir. And that's true for most affected individuals. But if you look at only adult onset LON, recovery of meaningful vision occurs in likely less than 20%, depending on what sort of definitions of recovery you use. I think the main point here is that with people with adult onset LON, ultimately visual acuity of better than 2200 or 660 is rare. So what 2200 or 660 vision Essentially, if you're sitting in the eye clinic and doing a reading chart test, 660 or 2200 would be the top letter on that reading chart. So in other words, most people with LON have vision or visual acuity of worse than 2200 or 660, so not being able to even read that top line of the chart. It's also really important to remember that these tests of vision, when we're asking patients to read the lesser chart, is really targeted at testing the central part of your vision. However, what we also know about LON is that peripheral vision or side vision seems to be relatively spared for some patients, 
And often patients will use their side vision to help with things like reading. So a lot of the gene therapy trials, and to some extent, the idebinone clinical trials have focused mainly on people in the subacute and the dynamic phase of LON, because it's thought that if someone's developed vision loss and their retinal ganglion cells, their optic nerve is failing, this might be a good point in time to try preventing further vision loss or preventing second eye involvement. There is some theory to suggest that in the chronic phase of LON, that because the vision loss has started to plateau or stabilize, that the retinal ganglion cells and the optic nerve has already reached a point where it's got really thin, that actually there may not be any salvageable or recoverable vision if you treated someone. We don't have any evidence, at least from gene therapy trials, to uh, indicate whether or not people with chronic LON uh, stand to benefit from gene therapy as well. So is the idea then that when it reaches the chronic stage that the cells die, I guess, that it literally the physical size of the optic nerve gets thinner, smaller? When the optic nerve gets injured, it can do one or two things. The first thing it can do is swell up, which is what we usually see in the subacute phase of LON. So in the first six months, the eye doctor might see some subtle swelling of the optic nerve in the back of the eyes. And then in the dynamic and then chronic phase of LON, that swelling begins to subside and the optic nerve then does the second thing that it can do, and that is it will atrophy or it will shrink down. So what does atrophy or shrinkage look like in the clinical setting? Essentially, if we took photographs of the back of eyes of people who are visually affected by LON, the optic nerve, instead of looking healthy and pink, will essentially look very pale and it might even shrink down as well. And one of the tests that we can do in the clinic is optical coherence tomography or OCT, where we can measure the thickness of the optic nerve at the back of the eyes. And after optic atrophy, we can actually quantify that thickness, which essentially manifests with thinning of the optic nerve on the OCT. And so essentially what that represents is the damaged or unhealthy retinal ganglion cells that have been affected by mitochondrial dysfunction essentially shrinking down or dying uh, as a result of being injured by the disease process that's occurring. And there's other things that we can measure clinically as well. So I think the Italian group have published a lot of studies where they look at optical coherence tomography and geography or OCTA. So not only just looking at the thickness of the nerves at the back of the eyes, they can look at the blood vessels in the back of the eyes as well. And there's some evidence that the blood supply to the papillomacular macular bundle, which is some of the really important nerve fibers that supply the central part of the vision, the blood supplies to those areas looks, look like they're compromised in people with LHOM. So that might be a useful marker of what's happening in people, perhaps who are carriers of the mutation but who haven't necessarily developed vision loss as well. One of the sort of challenges is identifying potential clinical signs or markers that might indicate that someone might be at risk of losing vision loss when they know they carry the mutation, but they may not necessarily have developed symptoms just yet. That, that is that's really useful. I wasn't fully aware of all that, so I'm sure other people weren't here. So the chronic phase is basically the idea that it's not going to be any more change. Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. If we look at some of the earlier literature, I think published in the early uh, 2010s, I think 2011, which is when the Chinese group published their first 
early phase clinical trials where they're talking about safety, dosing, and tolerability, some of the patients they treated in the early phase clinical trials also had chronic LON. And actually, those patients improved fairly well. But if you look at the data for those studies, the people that they treated who had chronic LON were actually pediatric patients or people that were really young. And what we understand about children who develop LON is that the way that they improve and recover, if they were going to recover, is somewhat different to people who develop LON or develop vision loss from LON when they're adult aged. There may be some indication that chronic LON might benefit from gene therapy, but we don't actually know the full effect of it until we run phase two, phase three clinical trials with a larger group of people where we can actually measure the effect of gene therapy. I think the really exciting thing is there are lots of studies that the Italian group have published that indicates that even with the damage that's been caused by LON, some of the mitochondria and some of the retinal ganglion cells in the back of the eyes might be actually in a dormant state. So even though there's thinning of the retinal ganglion cells beyond 12 months after onset of vision loss, some of those retinal ganglion cells might be in a dormant stage and actually treating them with gene therapy might be enough to revive or recover some of their functions. So we've got a gene therapy study that we're aiming to run in 2024 called Revive for people with chronic LHON looking to see whether or not we can revive the function of the renal gang cells. So check out the MitoCam website for details about the gene therapy study we're running, as well as the other research we're conducting in Cambridge, or speak with your ophthalmologist and they can link with either myself or Professor Patrick Uynahan. I think this is a good place to end today's episode. I hope it's been useful talking about the different stages of LON as well as how we target treatment depending on the stage of the disease. With that, I will say thanks to my co-host. Thanks, Spencer.